This is a bonus episode of The Medical Republic. I'm Francine Crimmins. The following interview is one I recorded earlier this year at the GPCE conference in Sydney. It features key speaker, Professor Mark Cooper. Professor Cooper is an endocrinologist and a clinical academic at the University of Sydney and Concord Hospital. His special area of interest is in metabolic bone disease. This episode unpacks the intersection of bone health between primary and tertiary care and also looks at the evidence behind a very controversial area of management, whether GPs should be recommending calcium and vitamin D supplements to their patients. Hi, I'm Mark Cooper. I'm an endocrinologist from Concord Hospital uh, and an expert in bone and mineral disorders. So I I just gave a session with uh, GPs talking about uh, the interface really between osteoporosis treatment in primary care and secondary care, really trying to find out uh, what difficulties arise uh, commonly and the dilemmas that are present in in primary care. The kind of issues we discussed ranged from calcium and vitamin D supplementation, which remains controversial. Uh, We talked about some of the uh, situations when or when you might not initiate osteoporosis treatment, particularly in younger women. Uh, who may or may not have osteoporosis by bone density criteria, and some of the dilemmas to do with some of the medicines we use, in particular how some of them uh, have restrictions on uh, whether they can be stopped or even whether they can be used for too long a period of time. And what are some of those restrictions with stopping a medication and having an adverse effect? Well, we've had a real dilemma that up until recently we've been using primarily bisphosphonates that hang around the body for a long time. And we've had some concerns that once you've had several years of treatment, that's probably enough for a while. And there may even be rare complications when giving duration of treatment well beyond seven, eight, nine years. The problem then comes that uh, many people are now using an alternative drug called denosumab. And denosumab has the uh, limitation or the strength, depending on your point of view, is, is that when you stop it, the effects of it wear off very, very quickly. Uh, and what we find is that uh, people don't appreciate that uh, the bone density that was gained will be lost very quickly, and this could leave people reverting back to their fracture risk. So there's mixed messages out there, and we're trying to find a way of uh, resolving these. So within that same group that might be at risk, some people might also then be looking at uh, having additional vitamin D or calcium in those patients, is that correct? Uh, Well, calcium vitamin D is probably one of the most controversial areas and even amongst experts we would disagree uh, profoundly. I I have a slightly jaded view of this uh, coming from uh, the UK originally, which was rampant with vitamin D deficiency. Uh, Australia doesn't look too bad to me, to be honest. Uh, In reality, there's very little evidence that taking people from levels of 30, 40 nanomoles per litre up to 70 or 80 does a whole lot of good. I would caution that people are going on powerful medications, probably do need to have a level of over 50. But in general, uh, I, I think the risks of this have been slightly overplayed. There's been some evidence lately from large trials that really failed to show major effects of taking people from kind of 35, 40, up to 70, um, and more trials are to come, uh, and we'll see whether any of those really show uh, a benefit to that. I, I think in, in general, we are clearly over-testing for vitamin D, we are overly worried, uh, and I do worry that this can be some psychological harm just from doing too much testing. Uh, I, I tend to view vitamin D as a biomarker for how much sun exposure is being uh, obtained, and people with a sedentary lifestyle who uh, are office-bound and 
uh, spend too much time there. Probably that a low vitamin D is a sign they should be getting out with their children uh, in the sun at the weekend uh, and living life a bit. And that probably has wider health benefits uh, that can't be obtained with just a vitamin D supplement. There may also be a link there between a more sedentary lifestyle and also perhaps not reaching an age where osteoporosis becomes a major issue. Is that correct? Yeah, well, we do have a a genuine dilemma of competing risks. So when we try and calculate things like the risk of people having a fracture, uh, there's a dilemma whether we should take into account the fact that some people live longer than others. Uh, So uh, this is controversial, but someone who is smoking, drinking, has very bad habits, has advanced renal failure, then to some degree they tend to have very bad bones, but the bones don't tend to let them down. They tend to die before they, they reach that. There is a dilemma that most fractures occur uh, in people as they get uh, who are older, and certainly the most serious fractures, hip fractures, really occur in the very elderly. So I, I'm all in support of trying to get people to, to be healthy enough to get to that age, and we have to treat them very aggressively to reduce those fracture risks, uh, particularly in those people that are getting to that age. And then moving on to the calcium side of things, what are the major controversies professionally with whether to use calcium or not? So we used to advocate calcium vitamin D in everybody. This was on the basis of some studies from nursing homes where calcium vitamin D seemed to improve outcomes in terms of falls and fractures. But other trials since then in relatively healthy populations, so the the healthy aged who is not in a nursing home, uh, generally calcium vitamin D, there's very little evidence it does much for them. Uh, and certainly is no substitute for uh, exercise, healthy lifestyle, uh, trying to get a decent diet. Uh, and there's even some concern that if people take calcium supplements for really prolonged periods of time when they don't need them, then some of that calcium may end up in the arteries. And this is the dilemma that uh, there is a small signal that there might be uh, an increased risk of myocardial infarction in some people who take calcium supplements for a long time. Uh, this is off outweighed by or, or balanced by a, a small benefit in terms of bone outcomes in people take calcium vitamin D, but in general, uh, as a treatment by itself, uh, we, we Osteoporosis Australia no longer advocate for calcium vitamin D in everybody. Um, we need to be a bit more selective. What tests do you recommend with people with osteoporosis? Yeah, this, this is something we discussed in the session where clearly there was some uncertainty about the extent you might go really looking for secondary cause of osteoporosis with, with the blood tests, etc. Uh, it has to be uh, on a case-by-case basis, although we do have some recommendations in the guidelines. But um, most people who have tests done for healthy lifestyle, uh, the, the once a year or six monthly tests that are often done, these will cover most things that would be correctable in terms of secondary cause of osteoporosis. Clearly in people that have multiple fractures, very low bone density, other conditions like celiac and myeloma raise their heads. But even there, there are dangerous testing. So many people who, you, if you test routinely and too much for uh, myeloma, then you'll often end up with equivocal tests suggesting MGUS. And quite often we don't know what to do with that. So uh, even in secondary care, we worry about doing too many tests. So I, I think common sense applies. Uh, you do more tests or, or even refer to secondary care in people who've got very unusual presentations. Uh, but your normal blood tests, the common sense things, are normally adequate.